funeral service in Washington. Becoming your own lobbyist on Capitol Hill. A funeral radio special. With Robert M. Fells, Executive Director and General Counsel to the ICCFA. And welcome back to another installment in our ongoing series that we're calling Funeral Service in Washington here on Funeral Radio. Welcome. My name is Bob Fells, and I'm the Executive Director and General Counsel of the International Cemetery Cremation and Funeral Association. And I I thank you for uh, listening. Uh, This particular program is called Some Do's and Don'ts of Employee Handbooks. And I think I know what you're thinking, and it's, wow, that sounds about as exciting as watching paint dry. And to some extent, uh, you may be correct. But we have our ways of making even the most esoteric of topics sound interesting. And uh, the do's and don'ts of employee handbooks are no exception. And actually, when you get into it, an employee handbook can be such a useful tool for everyone, for management, for labor, for the owners, for the managers, to the employees, um, and it can actually avoid, if not resolve, some um, thorny problems that come up in the workplace. So a properly drafted uh, and updated employee handbook it's really a win-win situation for everybody. There's really no downside. There's no one who needs to fear an employee handbook because if it's done right, it serves everyone well, no matter what side of the uh, uh, management or labor table you happen to be. First, um, a couple of bits of housekeeping. Number one, I have to say very emphatically, I am not giving legal advice here. Um, First of all, I'm not in a position to give legal advice because I would have to review your business. I'd have to review an existing employee handbook that you may have, the number of employees, what they do, uh, all kinds of things I would have to know to even be in a position to presume to give you legal advice on your employee handbook. So what am I doing here? Well, I'm going to give you some really useful and practical suggestions on making sure your employee handbook uh, is is optimum, is doing the best job it can for you and for everyone associated with your business, your funeral home, your cemetery, your crematory, employer and employee alike. And again, it's a win-win situation. Um, I would suggest that you have your handbook reviewed by a knowledgeable labor law or employment law attorney. I can tell you we do at ICCFA. We have a labor attorney on retainer named Mike Pepperman, Michael Pepperman of the Obermeyer firm in Philadelphia. And he's available to you. If you're an ICCFA member, we pay Michael a retainer so that you can call Michael with your questions about employment law and labor law, including an employee handbook. Um, Mike has reviewed our employee handbook, and indeed, the first thing I have to tell you is, 
An employee handbook needs to be reviewed every few years because things do change. Laws change, regulation, again, in keeping with our topic here, funeral service in Washington, yeah. Um, Congress or the agencies, particularly the Department of Labor, are uh, changing or adding to or amending the labor laws like all all the time. If a year goes by and there hasn't been some change that would affect you, that's kind of that's kind of surprising. Uh, so anyway, so uh, if you're a member, you might as well make your dues work for you and call Michael Pepperman with your questions. As I say, um, we pay him a retainer, so he will answer your questions. If you're not an ICCFA member, you might just want to think about joining. And uh, if you're thinking about it, check us out on our website, which is www for World Wide Web, uh, www.iccfa.com or .com, C-O-M. Okay. So with that bit of housekeeping in the out of the way, let us let us begin on some do's and don'ts. And actually, I have more do's here than I have don'ts. I can't say I have a whole lot of don'ts, although I could easily flip a do into a don't, you know, but we won't try and play games. Uh, One of the first things I've got to tell you is that don't fall into the trap. And now I'm, I'm to owners and managers here. Don't fall into the trap of making your handbook sound like it's some sort of contract with your employees. Uh, If you want to have a contract with individual employees, that's fine. And there's a lot to be said for that, particularly for key employees. But uh, that should be a separate written document and should be signed by an authorized person in your funeral home or cemetery, or as the case may be, uh, and do not... Uh, you try and use the handbook itself as uh, serving the purpose of a contract. So my first do is make sure you have a statement right at the beginning even of your employee handbook saying that this is not a contract and should not be regarded as a contract. That is very important because there have been many uh, cases, there's been many um, complaints that have been filed with labor boards and things like that where the employee, and it's usually only after the employee has been discharged, the employee claims that he was contracted to work a number of years. And obviously that hasn't happened. The employee has been let go, and the employee either wants to be reinstated to serve the number of years or to be paid salary and benefits for the remaining number of years. Now, typically... An employer will say, well, that's crazy. There, you know, there's no contract here. He's never been promised, even orally. He or she has never been promised to work here a set number of years. But what the employee will do, and sometimes it works. That's the problem. Oftentimes it doesn't work, but it does work sometimes. They point to language in the employee manual, the handbook. And that language can say something as simple as, Welcome. We hope you enjoy working here, and we hope you will continue to work here for many years to come. Now, that sounds pretty simple. It's a positive. It's obviously a welcoming statement. And certainly, um, you'd say, well, who in their right mind would interpret that as a contract saying, you, the employee, um, you have a job here for many years, and maybe let a court interpret how many years is many years. But stranger things have happened, and I regret to say that that's exactly what's happened in a few cases, 
where the court said, yeah, this sounds awful like the employer, the owner, meant to keep the employee there for a certain number of years. So what do you do? Uh, if you're, if you're, if the don't is do not say, you know, welcome, I uh, hope you stay a number of years. What do you do? Uh, you can certainly have a welcoming statement. There's nothing wrong with saying, Hey, we hope you enjoy working here. And when you, we hope you stay a long time or even a number of years, but make sure you follow that with a very emphatic statement that this is an employment at will relationship that it can be, the employment can be terminated at any time by either the employer or the employee at any time, as I said, for any reason or for no reason at all. That is very important because that could be, from an employer's point of view, that could be your defense that your handbook uh, is a contract offering a set length of employment. And it's also good to put the employees on notice, too, that, hey, you know, uh, you want to perform well every day because the, the employment relationship can be terminated at any time for any reason or no reason at all. That's a very important thing to clear the air. You may also, again, from the manager point of view, you may also want to add a statement in your handbook saying that if there are any contracts between the company and an employee. These will be in a separate written document outside of the handbook and will be signed by a duly authorized person in the company. And furthermore, I've even seen this added, no person has any authority to promise, no manager, no supervisor, no line super, whatever, nobody has any authority to offer, especially orally, any sort of employment contract or understanding of future employment. Um, anyway, uh, let me add parenthetically, knowing, you know, many times uh, most funeral homes and most cemeteries in the United States are small businesses, what they call mom and pop businesses. So if that's what you have and you're listening to me, um, you may say, well, I really don't have any employees or more likely I only have one or two employees and hey, they're members of my family. They're relatives. Uh, let me tell you, um, there have been cases, and they're not unknown, of, of uh, even family members suing uh, the funeral home or the cemetery over some grievance or something. So you can say, well, I don't need an employee handbook because, hey, the people I employ are in my family. Well, that doesn't stop someone if they get really disgruntled enough from suing. So um, I guess the only excuse I can think of for not having an employee handbook is that you just don't have any employees. You are the owner and you are the employee and that's it. But if you have anybody really, uh, other than yourself, it, it, there's only good reasons to have an employee handbook and really there's no downside to having that. But I sort of uh, digress here. Another do in your handbook is um, you want to state an anti or non-discrimination policy it could be called an anti-discrimination policy that you do not discriminate against any individuals on the basis of race or a sex or religion or ethnic origin, a type of thing that's become pretty boilerplate. Um, and you say, well then isn't it a self-serving statement that, I mean, who's going to say, yes, we, we, we discriminate against people. 
But I'll tell you what the value is. Number one, it's good to have it as a statement because you're not only telling that to your employees or for that matter, any third parties, if there's an issue about it, but you're also putting, if you're a little larger of a company, you're putting all your, say, mid-level managers on notice because what I've noticed is most claims of discrimination or for that matter of harassment, sexual harassment, for example, often do not come from the top, from the owner of the company, but oftentimes start with middle management. So the anti-discrimination policy and indeed the anti-harassment policy that you have is putting everyone, including any supervisors or managers, on notice that, guys, if you start doing this stuff, you're going to be toast. So that's why you have it. So it's just not to put out a boilerplate self-serving statement and saying, look at us, aren't we full? You're putting everyone in your workplace on notice that it's not going to be tolerated, either discrimination or harassment. Now, the second thing that is important and you don't want to leave out is, okay, what happens if a worker feels that he or she has been discriminated against or is being harassed for whatever reason? Your handbook should have a procedure. It doesn't have to be a complicated procedure, but you want to have a grievance procedure. And the grievance procedure outlines the steps that employee takes if he or she believes she is being harassed or he or she is being harassed or the victim of some unlawful form of discrimination. You need to have it because the policy itself is nice, but then what do you do about it? So you want to have a procedure saying, okay, if you feel this is an issue here for you, these are the steps you take. This, these are who you report to. This is who you, you notify. Hand in hand with that, I have one other do, and do have um, a whistleblower policy. This did not used to be a requirement, but when the, I believe it's the Sarbanes-Oxley Law was passed some years ago, and if you know anything about it, people say, oh, well, that, that's just for large corporations that have publicly traded stock and all this stuff. Well, generally speaking, that's correct. But there are a couple of provisions in Sarbanes-Oxley, or, or SOX, as they call it, that apply to everyone, including nonprofit businesses. I'm not sure how well this is known. And one of these provisions that apply to all businesses uh, is the whistleblower policy. And you have to say, obviously, you have a whistleblower policy whereby whistleblowers who report wrongdoing to management are not going to be retaliated against. It's very important. And likewise, you want to make sure you have some sort of procedure. And it can be similar to your uh, anti-discrimination and anti-harassment procedures of what an employee does. So you need to have a whistleblower protection uh, policy. Okay. Um, one other thing that can be um, somewhat arduous, and this is perhaps a key reason why you want to have a labor law attorney review your handbook, is uh, the health care benefits. As you know, with the Affordable Care Act in recent years, plus COBRA, where um, a former employee can uh, maintain the uh, company's uh, health care policy type of thing. These things need to be disclosed in a handbook. So you need to have a COBRA rights notice as well as any other additional or new uh, provisions because of the, of the Affordable Care Act. So you want to make very sure 
that you have these in here. And, and frankly, is it complicated? Yeah, unfortunately, it has become complicated. I wish it wasn't, but it has. So all the more reason why you do want to consult with a, a knowledgeable uh, labor law or employment law uh, attorney on these things. One other provision in a handbook, which a lot of older books will not have, and this is why it's important that we review our handbooks every few years. It's sort of like changing the oil in your car. You can change the oil in your car. You can put in the very best oil money can buy. But after a few thousand miles or so, you're going to have to change the oil. doesn't matter how good it was or how top quality it was. An employee handbook is the same way. Even if it's reviewed by legal counsel and it's the best Jim Dandy handbook in the world, over time, some parts are going to become outdated or superseded by new legal requirements, or new things are going to pop up that you didn't exist before that now you either by law ought to have in your handbook, or it's just a smart thing to have it in your handbook, even if it's not required by law. One of these is a social media policy. And this has only come along in recent years with computers into the workplace and access to the, the internet and all kinds of other things. Um, you, you probably can't stop your employees from going on the, the internet for non-business, non-company purposes, and you, you probably even shouldn't try. It's sort of like in the old days when the only thing you have to worry about were workers using the company phone lines to make personal calls. Uh, chances are they weren't prohibited. It's tough to do. But you said it should be a reasonable use. Don't abuse it. If you need to make a personal phone call to call home or something like that, well, go, go ahead and do it, you know, but just it shouldn't get out of hand. Well, a social media policy today is just really an extension of the old use of company phone lines. Um, the most important thing is that you st you should state in any in policy, social media policy, is that if an employee is going to store things on the company's server, private emails, for example, there is no right of privacy. If you use the company's equipment, you use the company's server, and you save things on the company's machines and the company's systems, uh, they become the property of, of the, the, the company. And certainly there is no right of privacy. And that can happen <clears throat> sometimes when an employer is checking. <clears throat> Excuse me. Getting all choked up about this. Employer is checking and you see some private emails and it may be of some questionable and the employer may say, hey, what's this? And so for the employee or the worker <clears throat> to go and say, hey, wait a minute. That's my personal email. How dare you look at that? No. The employer has a perfect right to look at employees' personal email if they have stored it on the company's system or servers. So that's another good disclosure that management will want to make in the handbook to say, you know, if you do this, if you store your, your private stuff on our systems, there's no right of privacy. So forget about that. And maybe people will decide to do otherwise. We're almost out of time here, and this is a subject we can go on about, and we could even have, if you have any requests you'd like me to talk about, we can certainly do a part two of you know some do's and don'ts about employee handbooks. But I'll leave you with this last thing, which is very important, 
And uh, maybe if you have only can have one reason to have a handbook, this might be it. You want to outline disciplinary. If it becomes necessary to discipline um, an employee, put an employee on notice that they need to improve their work performance or whatever the issue or the concern may be, you want to have a, a procedure, uh, a policy procedure, a disciplinary procedure. Number one, you want to list, but you you can say this is not necessarily all-inclusive. You want to list certain things that will be subject to immediate determination. There's no second chance or anything. And say, well, what would those be? Maybe like fighting, uh, things like that, stealing, dishonesty, insubordination. Obviously, it would have to be over something fairly important. Uh, you want to st- you state these things uh, can subject an employee to, among other things, immediate termination. Other things... You can have a system of um, a two or three part system. If it's like, let's say somebody is habitually late for work, you write them up and that will be, you know, the first step. And you can say, okay, that goes into your personnel file. If um, the problem has been resolved in the next six months, some places say, well, we'll pull it out of the personnel file. And then if it continues later, then you start all over again. Step one. Uh, and then step two, if it continues or there's another problem, then again, you give a warning. And you just have a system, and it can work really any way you want, so long as it's stated clearly and all the workers understand it. Uh, you want to put them on notice uh, that if it gets to that point, you say, okay, you know, stri- three strikes and you're out, we have to let you go, goodbye type of thing. You, you want to say, gee, I didn't know this, I didn't see this coming, that's the value of an employee a handbook with having a disciplinary uh, procedure on this. And the last thing um, I'll point out is you also want to have a detachable page. By the way, an employee handbook in a physical sense, it can be as simple as a simple three-ring binder. It doesn't have to be anything um, expensive or bound up like a book or anything. These days, a lot of employers are putting the employee handbook online in the system and telling the employees how to get access to it. Any new employee, you want to give them time on the job to sit and read over the handbook and urge them. They really need to make themselves familiar with the handbook and ask questions to have Handbooks. But the one thing you want to do is you want to have a page, an acknowledgement page that every employee signs and dates. And it's very simple. It acknowledges that they have received the employee handbook, they have read it and understand it. And some people even add they understand the handbook is not a contract to uh, refer back to where we started in this program and then have them sign and date. And also you can add if you have any questions. You should ask either so-and-so or give a title or the appropriate supervisor, whatever. Have them sign and date it. Keep it in their personnel file because you don't want to have, if there's an issue down the road, you don't want to have the employee saying, I didn't know that. You said, well, it's right in the employee handbook. Oh, I never received the employee handbook. And you say, oh, yeah, here, you signed this acknowledgement form that on this date you received it and you read it and you understand it. And if you had any questions, you'd ask, you know. So all these things are tools. And again, I don't want to slant this that the handbook is only for the benefit of the employer. It really helps for 
the workers, the employees to know what is expected of them. And once they know, they'll probably do a very good job rather than not knowing or not being uh, clear or confused on what is expected of them. Anyway, that's just sort of a, a dipping our toe into the pool of employee handbooks. But it's a necessary thing to have in the workplace. You need to have one. It should be updated. And you always want to have an experienced uh, labor law attorney uh, review it. And from time to time, because things do change with our friends in Washington, um, adding to it or changing it. So that, I think, will do it for this program. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope it was more interesting than watching paint dry. At least that was my goal. And if you have any questions, uh, please email me. I'm at rfells at iccfa.com, rfells at iccfa.com. And with that, uh, thank you for joining me, and we'll see you next time. Bye now.